Welcome back to War Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta. Uh, it is 11.34, and Anthony was supposed to be here at 11 a.m. We have practice at 1 at a suburban, suburban rink. Why are you 34 minutes late? Well, first of all, you can look at your coffee, and it'll show you that the coffee was actually picked up at 10.59, right across ah. the street from your hotel. So uh-huh. I was... Which even that was a part of the story. So start the story by saying that Margot's with me on the trip in Montreal, which has been incredible. You're and not about to blame your wife. I'm not going to blame my wife at all. Well, a little bit, actually, now that I think about it. So we had a great night last night. One of the great meals, maybe top three or four meal I've ever had in my life. Plenty of vino. Met you afterward for a few double vodkas before I went to bed which this all is a precursor to part of the story. But I get up this morning, get a little work done, jump in the shower, and, and I start walking down the street. And I text you on the way and said, hey, I'm going to grab Starbucks. Well, one of the hurdles you fight in Canada is that the Starbucks app does not allow yeah. you to order ahead if you're from America. Nor does it know which Starbucks apparently are open or closed. <laughs> so I walked down the street and I look and I said, it looks like there's a Starbucks right in his lobby. So I walked to that Starbucks. There are, it's all boarded up inside. And the only words written on it are in French. I don't know if it's telling me that this, use the other door, this entrance closed, it turns out what it's saying is, hey, moron, this one's under construction. Go somewhere else. <laughs> and so I walk around. I go outside. There's another door boarded up. I go around the corner. Another door boarded up. They all have the Starbucks logo on them. And I, but I, I kept thinking it was just telling me, like, use another entrance. Well, so I finally give up on that. I see a guy with a Starbucks in his hand. I asked him where he got it, and he says, I don't know. And I said, you don't know. You have it in your hand. Where, where did you get it? And he says, I'm not sure. All right. So I walk into the lobby. I find a bellman. I said, hey, I think there's a Starbucks right by the rink. He said, yep, right down Drummond, which is a block over from right. your hotel. So I walk down, go to the Starbucks, and I, I order the coffees. And I get a text from Margo. And as I'm replying to the text, she calls me. So now I'm thinking something's going on. I answer the phone and she says, well, how's your vision? And I said, you know, it's a little foggy. And, <laughs> and I was walking down the street. I really thought it was just a little mush brain from the vino and the vodka last oh night. Oh, my God. And she says, I think you put my contact lenses in. <laughs> and so I said, well, now that I look around, yes, my left eye, I can't see anything. It, and so... She starts yelling at me saying that, well, how did you do that? My case is red. And I was like, I don't think I would. My case is green and white. I I don't know. But all right, I'll grab you a coffee and I'll walk back because she can't leave the room now. She can't see anything. (laughs) And her eyes are almost as bad as mine. So I say, well, I'm at Starbucks. I'll order another coffee and bring it back to you. So I've already made the walk like 10 blocks down to your hotel and to the Starbucks. So I walk back up the hill which now, as a side note, the team's all getting on the bus to leave. So now I'm bumping into all the players and coaches, and they all, hey, how was your dinner last night? And it's not like you can just storm by them with your head down and, hey, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a hurry. So there are a couple conversations there. I go upstairs, and Margot, who has been known to point out my flaws, is I don't know how you could have put the – and I said, well, where's your case? We start looking around. It turns out her case – 
is exactly the same as mine, green and white with a, it's exactly the same case. So I looked at it, I said, well, you can see how I would have screwed this up. Screwed this up. It's exactly the same. Yeah. So I popped the lenses out, popped the other ones back in, and then walked back down here to get to your hotel. Right. With me texting you nonstop, like, where the F are you? Did you get hit right. by a car? Right. And um, all that stuff. So I, do anyway, like, was, I do like that Starbucks right by the rink, though. It's it is. A it's one. a great Starbucks. But the what they have to figure out is how, yes. when you're from America, that you can still order yeah, ahead. I agree. You can pay with the app in yeah. most of them, not all of them. I went to one yesterday where they wouldn't even let me pay with the app, but that, that has more to do with their franchise agreements and everything. But how you can't order ahead is bizarre, yeah. and how spoiled we've become with the ability to yeah. order ahead yeah. Because yesterday I went to get coffee. It took me half an hour. Yeah. By the way, I don't think we should give out the uh, little hint to Minnesotans that you can order ahead on the Starbucks app. Because my favorite thing is watching 20 cards deep in a drive-thru line. Right. And I walk in. Yeah. And and it's just like makes no sense. It happens every day. Yeah. But I love it. Like Keep them in the drive-thru line. Right. (laughs) We'll order ahead. Sully just texted me. Let's see what's going on. Uh, Oh, he's complimenting my roster in our uh, DHL league. So, um... Let's see where to begin. Wilder one three and one. Well, we um, could begin with the trip: Boston to Montreal, first road trip yeah. of the year. Two of my all-time favorite food cities to visit. Yeah. And Boston disappointed. I went to a place called Davio's Northern Italian Steakhouse, which looked awesome, and turned out to be mediocre. I had one of the worst scallop dinners I've ever had in my life. The scallops weren't bad, but f- absolutely flavorless risotto. And a bartender who seemed like a nice enough guy that was as incompetent taking an order as I've ever seen. (laughs) So a really disappointing stop there in terms of the food. But in Montreal, I visited one of my old standbys and then a new place last night. And I'm telling you, the place I went last night, Mm. maybe a top three meal I've ever had in my life. It was a a seafood. We did a six-course seafood tasting menu with an incredible wine pairing and it was it was as good as a seafood meal as I've ever had in my life so and we're looking forward to one actually two more nights still in Montreal feels like we might as well move in here which is crazy but man what a city I just what's on the agenda tonight for dinner well, tonight's going to be a little more casual. We went to a little place called Barocco on Saturday night when we arrived. Barocco is one of my favorite Italian spots down in old Montreal. And a little small, maybe eight-table place. We, had, we did a tasting menu there, too, which was terrific. But if you ever are in Montreal, go to Barocco, have the short ribs. You will not be disappointed. They are phenomenal. And then yesterday went to one of my other favorite spots. I had never been there for this. I had been there just for wine at night. It's a little jazz bistro, but they have a jazz brunch on Sundays. So we went to Modavi, had a jazz brunch, and then last night it was Garde Manger for the seafood. So if you are ever in old Montreal, go to Garde Manger. You probably won't be able to find it, so make sure you know the address. It has no signs on the outside, no nothing, but it's just this little spot and they know seafood there. It is trust whatever they tell you. Alexander's the GM. We met him last night and chatted with him for a long time. Big hockey fan. And you, it is. it was terrific. Tonight's going to be a little more casual, only because otherwise I'll end up upside down financially on a 
on the on the road well, trip. Well, you usually do. So it's we're gonna go. Uh, actually, I thought you were gonna come with us for dinner tonight. We're going to a casual spot down in Old Montreal. And we'll see. We'll see if I'm done writing. So let, let, I know you're very very busy. I am. So yesterday, as you saw, three days off between games. Yeah, but like so. So yesterday, I wound up meeting up with uh, Bill Guerin for a sit down for a story that I'm writing today. Um, and I do think the Wild are going to blow up their lines of practice, which we'll see in about an hour. Um, but because I met up with him during the day yesterday, as opposed to n- last night, because he had uh, he he had new plans last night. Um, I had a basically pull an all nighter working on a Billy Smith NHL '99 story that's going to run on Thursday. Um, so uh, today I got to write as well, and I probably should get on the exercise bike because it hasn't been a healthy couple of weeks for me. So. Uh, so we'll see if I make it out to you tonight. We'll we'll try, um, but let's uh, let's get started on this team. Teams one three and one. You know, uh, interesting game in Boston. It was it was really I don't know what it is about that arena. For some reason, I, I, I uh, there's some arenas that every single time I'm there, it's hard to write a game story. And it seems like every time the Wild play in Boston, and they're usually successful there, it's still a super hard story to write. And that game was a hard game to really analyze because. I actually thought the first ten minutes they played well, really well. They skated well, got off to a, a you know an early lead on the Brandon Duhame shorthanded goal off a penalty that was an atrocious call, um, and then essentially a power play goal against right a second or two later by Nick Foligno on the softest checking by the Wild I've ever seen. Like they are just too easy to play against in their own zone. Like check a guy, like uh, the stick swinging by this by this team, and these were two forwards. This was not the blue line. This was Goudreau and Jost. They, they've got to do a better job. Like, what is the deal, Anthony, with the way that they're defending right now? I think they look off, and I, I haven't been able to put my finger on it either, and it's looked that way all season long. I don't know. It, they look. They just look off to me. Yeah. They look a little slow. I keep thinking that with the, the checking part and the physical part, that the I thought the return of Jordan Greenway would change that just because it makes that line play the game that way. I think it helps solidify all the rest of the lines in your lineup. It it puts Hartman back with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, where he brings a little bit of that. I, I thought that would be the impact. We maybe it would have been. We only saw it for a half a period, but there's been something missing. And I thought the game in Boston just had an eerie silence to it for the first two periods. There wasn't a lot of flow. And I don't know if the Wild looks slow or if it's because they've just been off where you know how teams look faster when they're efficient. When the passes are on target and everything looks structured and crisp, it makes you look faster than you are. And I think the reverse is happening right now where they – they look a step slow because it's almost like there's indecision on everything they do. So I do think we'll see the lines get blown up. And part of it is because Felino, Erickson, Eck, and Greenway, when you take any one of the three of them off the line, they don't perform the same way, which is crazy because Jewel Erickson Eck should be the same player no matter who he's with. Yeah. Marcus Felino should be the same player almost no matter who he's with. But whenever you take any one, we've seen it with each of the three getting removed, the others aren't the same. So until Greenway comes back, I don't think those two guys 
meaning Erickson Eck and Felino have been nearly as efficient together. So I think you you have to throw them on different lines and try something else because it ain't working right now. And but all that said, they did the rally to earn a point there is significant. They're down in the third period. They found a way to get it into overtime and probably into a shootout if they don't put themselves shorthanded for the entire overtime. Yeah, and two games in a row that uh, I thought Flurry was really good when really they needed good. him to be stolen with yeah. essentially three points. And, um, and remember that yeah. they essentially did score four yeah. times in regulation. Yeah. Boldy had the one that got waved out. Yeah. I thought it was the right call. He kicked it in. But they easily could have won the game in regulation yeah. if that goal stamped. Yep, yeah, uh, no doubt. Um, you know, they got to be smarter, though. Like, Dumba has been an absolute mess. Um his turnovers, his propensity for giving up odd man rushes, and then for him to take that penalty at the end of regulation where the entire weight of the box, he was acting like he did nothing to the point that I'm like, I got to get a look on this replay. It must be an awful call. And it was, it was, it was like, a, it, it was, was a, one of the more obvious. Yeah. Calls I mean, it was, made. he stranglehold the guy, held the guy's stick. I don't know. I like, haven't talked to Matt about it. Yeah. My, I'm guessing his argument was that the other guy should have been called for a hook to start, but yeah. it didn't look like much of a hook. He and keep in it, mind, yeah. and I think we talked about it on the broadcast. After there had been that sequence where Boston took penalties and put Minnesota five on three twice, mm -hmm. you knew that from there, probably till the finish, better be squeaky clean. They, Boston could have gotten away with murder, and the Wild yeah. had to be squeaky clean. And Boston took advantage of that. I thought there were a couple more calls that easily could have, maybe should have been made, and Minnesota wasn't squeaky clean. Yeah. Dumba put himself in a yeah. spot where you knew when the officials were looking for anything to possibly call. You can't give them a reason to blow the whistle. Yeah, I thought Dean's post game was one of the more bizarre post games I've ever been a part of. Where you know, one, I thought he tried to paint a you know put lipstick on a pig the way he talked about the game. Um, two, the penalty, like him saying just let the guys play when he uh, the Wild had two five on threes. The Wild took two obvious penalties essentially in overtime. And letting the guys play is exactly what the refs did do in the last six minutes when he let Boston get away with murder. So I think that he was just, I think he's yeah, stressed. I think what um, he was talking about, and I didn't, I didn't yeah. catch Dean because that's another story, the Boston elevator situation to oh, get to the, the race. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I stood there and waited for the elevator for 19 minutes. Yeah, I know. It's the worst. If I really stay, had, yeah. if I was trying to write a story or yeah. something. Or get to the team bus. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I couldn't have made it. But I thought. I thought what Dean was talking about was but the just very to interject first. Real quick, Dan Mizutani, the Pioneer press writer, you know, sometimes in these buildings he he doesn't go to a lot of them uh, all the time. So sometimes he'll skip trips. So he's like, I can't remember. Do we write downstairs here or write upstairs? I said, if you write upstairs after the game, we'll never see you again. Like you're going to want to bring your stuff down there, you know. And for a writer that's writing on deadline for a newspaper, that's a pain in the ass because you got to file the guns. So like when you got to catch an elevator to, you know, you, it's a it's a cluster. You know what? And so <laughs> that elevator situation. There's some buildings. Tampa's another one. Worst, right? Yeah, and it's bad both ways because they have two elevators, one call button. But one of them only goes to the seventh floor. The other one goes to the ninth. So, so you can't call the elevator that you need to yeah. go to the ninth floor. Yeah. You have, the other one comes because you've hit the up button, yeah. and you, but you can't take it. Yeah. So it's you nice. end up sitting there waiting. Anyway, I just thought what Dean was talking about was the – I thought the first penalty of the game was ludicrous, yeah. and it set the tone and changed yeah. the whole field. And then field the Felino the missed call. 
I'm sure he's still livid with. I yeah. mean, that was a breakaway. It was brutal. Um, and, and John McIsaac, who I think is a good ref. And remember, John McIsaac was the guy in Madison Square Garden last year that waved off, that disallowed that goal in the final seconds, um, where Dean raved about his officiating in that instance. He's a good referee, but Dean laid into him, <laughs> man. And he was in bad position on that play. Um, Back to Dumba. The one thing I do think is that, like, I think there's probably a lot of stress on Dumba right now because also he knows if this team, like, Matt Dumba, this is his last year with the Wild. I'll just pronounce that right now. It's it, yeah, I did this last year with Fiala, and people thought that uh, at early in the season that I was there's there's always a chance. There was never a chance, and this is Matt Dumba. I don't care what Bill Guerin and the organization and all this people think, you know, say this is his last year with the Wild. It is obvious. Um, and I do think that that reality is probably a lot of stress on him too, because he's going to get traded. Mo he, he, they're either letting him walk or he's going to get traded before the deadline. And the more they lose, the sooner that could happen, even in a parallel type move where you just get another defenseman here because he is not, he's no longer on the power play. He's not producing offensively and defensively. He's, he's been a mess. And I just think that's a lot of stress on this guy, especially when the team's not playing well. I agree with that for sure, and barring something crazy, I agree with the assessment of his time in Minnesota. It would have to be a, hey, we'll bring you back at some. I don't even think they give him a, like. I don't, like at some point, you got to open the door for exactly. the awards. But but Brock I, Faber is going to be playing NHL games this year. I think and, he is too. As soon yeah. as the University of Minnesota is done, he's going to be in St. Paul, yeah. and depending on what else happens on the blue line. He's going to be in St. Paul with the Wild down the stretch. And I don't think this team is anywhere close to saying, hey, we've lost too much, it's time to blow things up. But I do think they're, you're probably going to start to look at what tweaks, what little moves could you make that could make you better. And we've talked a lot about the salary cap space that they have because of the Cam Talbot trade. I think you're not going to wait too long before – putting some of that to use. And this is just a guess. I haven't talked to Billy about this. After the way the first three games went, I'm sure there was a part of him that was, boy, I better wait and make sure that goaltending isn't going to be a major issue. And if it is, I better make sure I've got that cash in my back pocket to make a goaltending trade possible. And not that we've all of a sudden, okay, now Marc-Andre Fleury's back to where he was 12 years ago, but he's played great the last two games and probably has at least allowed a little bit of a sigh of relief that, okay, he's, he's okay. What but, I like but, about Fleury is he's so um, accountable. Like, he, there's no excuses. He is saying that he sucks. Um, he actually, you know, sent a text to Bill Guerin basically thanking him for sticking by him after those two games because he th probably thought that any other GM would have said, adios. Um, we gotta go yeah, and it's too early yeah. for that kind of, but it, there's, it's twofold. I was thinking about this as we were coming from Boston to Montreal, and, and I really do think, I thought he was really, really good in the game in Boston. The Vancouver game, I thought he wasn't tested as much, but he at least looked like himself. And the reality is it's still two games with a three and a half goals against average. It's better than the 20 goals allowed that the team had in the first three games, but it's still seven goals against in two games. So it isn't like we're starting to talk about that. Holy cow. We're, we're looking at a guy that's ready to contend for a Vesna or a team that's 
going to be starting to look at as one of the lockdown teams in the league. But it just has looked more like himself. And I think these last two games with the seven goals against, it's been more an indictment on the defensive structure than it has been the goaltending. I think the goaltending has been good enough to hold teams to a couple goals a night. There have just been too many chances. Um, let's just, before we um, you know, move on and get to Twitter questions, um, let's just talk about some players. We talked about Dumba. Um, before we get into some of the periphery guys like Jost, who I think has been a real big disappointment in the first five games, let's talk about some of the veterans that have been real big disappointments in the last five games. What is wrong with Jonas Brodeen? Um, and and, and um, I will say this. I'm, I am tired of fans anytime we point out that Brodine is struggling saying, well, he's got to play with Dumba. That is a bunch of crap, okay? Matt Dumba was not on the ice on that three-on-three -three where, where Jonas Brodine looked like he had never played the sport before. He turned the puck over. Pedersen almost ended it. He sends a waist-high 100-foot pass to Erickson Eck. Um, he has been turning pucks over left and right. He's not boxing guys out. This is, this is alarming. It is, it, it, he has, and he hasn't been great. There's for sure an, an impact of where you are in cover-up mode for a defensive partner that's turning the puck over. But I agree with you, his game's just been off. And where we've seen him be able to recover and to bail his partner out more than just a few times a night, we haven't seen that. And it, there is a, an overreaction and a tendency to overreact to anything, whether good or bad, when it's at the start of the season. It's five games right now. I'm sure you could find a five-game stretch during his career where he hasn't been great. I'm sure you could find five-game stretches for just about anybody where they've been terrific or they've been terrible. It just, when it's the first five, it has a way of looking bigger than it is. So we talked on last week's show I want to wait till this road trip's over. When this road trip is over, and now you're nine games into the season, that's a uh, sample size that I think could be legit. Let's see how, how Jonas Brodeen looks the rest of this trip. But if he still looks like he does right now, it is. This is something I don't recall seeing from him. Yeah. The, some of the mistakes that have been made, and just there haven't been those plays that he used to make look so easy. Right. The turns out of his own zone, the one-man breakout type plays, the recovery to take away scoring chances with his skating ability. We just haven't seen very many of those. And maybe it's just the whole team where the structure's been off and guys have looked out of position from the beginning. I, I don't know what it is. And it all comes after a camp that where everything looked great, which makes it even stranger to, to look at the way things have started out. No, no doubt. Um, before we get to Felino Hartman and Spurgeon, um, let me tell everybody about Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Um, if, you, if you were like most people, you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. Well, I went right to the expert, Chris Lindahl, the other day and asked him. Chris started in 2009, so as we all know, there were similar tensions back then. So I wanted to know where we were headed, and here's what Chris told me. The supply of homes would have would have to outweigh demand, not be at all-time lows for a crash to happen. The average days on a market would need to spike too. If you look right now, houses are sitting on the market longer. Prices are being cut a lot too. 
but the seasons and market have been shifting, so it's hard to say if the sky is falling. The number one thing people can control right now is their equity being at all-time highs. Homeowners that want to guarantee they keep their equity need to be proactive. Don't wait until it's too late, which is why so many are coming to Chris at KLRE for their guaranteed offer program. It's a great hedge against high inflation and interest rates vaporizing people's equity. Request your no-obligation Guaranteed offer right now by going to chrislindahl.com. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Anthony, tell us about Moe's. Well, Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena is a terrific new spot. Great place to go watch a game. We talked about their banquet room that we used for our fantasy hockey draft this couple of weeks ago. It's a terrific meeting space if you've got something like that. But most important, it's just a great place to go hang out. Well, either you're at a game at Fogarty Arena, you've got a curling match, great venue, food is solid, great TVs to watch the games. It's not just a place to go while you're son or daughter is taking part in youth hockey practices or a youth hockey tournament. It's also a great place to go to watch hockey games, watch wild games played, and check out the pastrami sandwich. It's my favorite on the menu when you go there. It's Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's a great spot. And we did our uh, recent, recent, we were there recently. That was fun. We were. I already said that, but you were looking at your phone and not listening to what I I I said. So it's, I know this is. Ju- it's just like being at dinner. I could have a conversation with anybody, and this was an important text. All Anthony. of a sudden, he'll look up and okay. So, what were we talking about? What were we talking about? Ryan Hartman, um, another one that uh, you know. Again, He's we're gonna. Off. I can't wait to see what the lines are at practice. I think Eric and Felino are going to be split up today. That Jost Eric Felino line was just well. Terrible Jost the other isn't day. a fit for that yeah. line. We've learned that. Well, I think Tyson Jost like, is. I think he had a good yeah. camp. Yeah. And I we saw flashes of a higher skilled player, kind of like what we talked about when he was first acquired. A guy that has a little more upside, but just maybe never really had the opportunity there. And it, during camp. I thought he looked really good, and we not just in exhibition games against American Hockey League players. I'm talking about in situations within the Wilds training camp where you could see him playing with more skilled players. I thought he showed some things. I don't think he's a fit to play that role on a line with Felino and Erickson Eck. He isn't going to be Jordan Greenway, and he wasn't. But I'm not sure where he does fit. I don't think it's ready to say, all right, the Jost experiment didn't work. Let's send the guy down or bench the guy or anything else. But I, I just don't think that trio was a good fit. Hartman hasn't been the same. He's looked a little off. I don't know if it's the pressure of that he hasn't scored, the pressure coming in that I scored 34 last year. I got to match it. I, I'm sure there's some of that happening with a lot of these guys. And I know we talked about it. The Billy Guerin, matter of fact, he had a career year. We'll do it again. And I thought it was such a healthy way to look at it. No bullshit, just do it again. And 
I wonder if there aren't some guys who have that in the back of their mind right now where it's, well, I got to match what I did last year. I got to put up the numbers I put up last year. And, and maybe that's weighing on some of these guys. I'm not sure. Hartman might be one of them. Um, with Joe's, I think the only issue there is like so far he, all right, he, he obviously, like I felt last year he didn't fit when he played with that, that the, two of those players too. And for some reason the Wild said that he did. And I looked back at the numbers and I was right that he didn't. His, the analytics for that line that night were, those nights were terrible. Um, but he, so if he's not skilled enough to play in a top six and we know he's not, Physical I'm not, enough to I'm play not in sure a, he's not skilled enough to play in a top six. I'm just saying I don't think he fits right. with a line that's going to play the game the way. I, just, well, I guess what I'm, I'm saying play. is like, where does he fit in this lineup? Because if you're just going to throw him on the fourth line, well, that's not him either. He's not a physical guy. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think they're trying to find that fit there, and I just wonder how much more grace they're going to give him before they say, you know what, you had a golden opportunity and take it. Uh, now you're out of lineup and playing a Mason Shaw or something like that. Um, we we you you talked about Ryan Hartman. What's going on with Felino? Felino looks like he like I almost think that the Wild just needs to take him off the power play so he starts to stop thinking he's a skilled guy again and get back to his bread and butter, which is being physical, being defensive. I mean Greenway gets hurt because he's make trying to make a skilled drop pass at the blue line. Um, you know, like he just needs to get back to playing the way that Marcus Fino yeah, plays. But that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. When those three guys play together and just play the game the way that they play it, they're dangerous. Yep. And then it makes the rest of the team better. So that might be, maybe that is why when those three are not all together, that they don't look as effective because they don't just have three guys that are throwing the puck along, spend the entire shift along the boards Punishing people and scoring chances seem to create to emerge from that. I, he's just one of the many guys who's looked a little bit off, and you could see Spurge it. His, too. I thought Spurgeon was terrific the last two well, games. Well, in overtime, he was really good. But, and um, I thought he was great. I thought he was great against Vancouver, and I thought he was really good throughout the game against Boston. I, I, I think he and. There's been a lot dumped on him, too, with the fact that the Brodine-Dumba pairing has not been as effective defensively as we expected. It's been Spurgeon playing against the other team's best, and I thought they were pretty good in the Boston game against the Bruins' top guns. Let's talk some positives before we get into Twitter questions. Uh, Matt Boldy has been the, one of the brightest spots on the team. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of questions coming into the season. What's he going to be like without Kevin Fiala? And the reality is, is that he's been really, really good. He's been great. And actually, I thought Marco Rossi's last best two game. games were good. The Boston game was the best game he's played. Still ha looks like a guy who's a little tentative and a little reluctant to shoot the puck. A little yeah, reluctant on the five to, on three. to just trust that you're here to score. Score. Yeah. And maybe all it'll yeah. take is the one goal or first yeah. point to break the seal. Yeah. But I did think he was visible from the start yeah. of that game. First 10 minutes of the game, it was you felt like you were watching Marco Rossi for the first yeah. time. I cannot believe, by the way, how many idiots there are that are wild fans. If I got to see <laughs> a twidiot come at me again saying that Marco Rossi after five games is a, quote, bust, like how stupid do you have to be? You know, the guy is 21 years old playing against Patrice Bergeron and these guys. Like, give him time. 
A lot of people wanted to write off Yul Erickson Eck after freaking two, three, four years as well. Miko Koivu. It takes time. Guys don't just automatically step into the NHL and be Connor McDavid. Like, you've got to be like, these people are like, Marco Rossi has shown me nothing. You know, like, he is a boss. This is going to be a fireable offense for Bill Garrett. Like, how, how absolutely well, stupid. Like, like, Minnesotans like to sit, think that they know everything about hockey, and yet some of the hot takes that I've gotten recently, like, some of the hot takes I, I get, like, when things are going well are crazy enough. Imagine the crap that I'm seeing no, now. it's unreal. And we, I think we talked about this after the 0-3 start. Yeah. The stuff that people, and I'll even take it to the next level, all of a sudden, you wouldn't believe how terrible the broadcasts are. Yeah. When you're 0-3, how dare you say that that guy won a face-off? Yeah. <laughs> all we should say is 0-3, they're 0-3, they're 0-3, they're 0-3. I mean, how dare you make a comment that they've outshot an opponent or that the... And you want to just say, look... I get it. The The only statistic that matters at the end of the game is what the final score was. But go watch an NFL football game. Is the only thing they ever put on the screen the score? Yeah. No, they put rushing yards. They put first downs. They put turnovers. They put pa completion per yeah. passer ratings. Go look at a baseball game. Is the only thing they put? No, they put pitch counts, how many balls. Is, there are a thousand different statistics that are relevant when it comes to the game. There is no doubt the most important one and the only one that matters when you get on the bus afterward is did you score more goals? But you get people that are making those kind of comments. You get people that are, this guy should be cut. This guy should be traded. This guy should be fired. I had people that were texting me saying, how, mu how much longer are you going to kiss Billy Guerin's ass before you admit that he should be fired? How They're 0-3. And number one, I'm not. we're not talking about how... We're not sitting in the broadcast booth saying, boy, Billy Guerin's been brilliant. Billy Guerin's been brilliant. But we're not, because the we're in the middle of a third consecutive loss, going to start talking in the, boy, it has, the Wild down 4-3 against Colorado here in game three of the season on October 20th. I wonder if Billy Guerin should be fired. What do you think of that, Wes? I mean, that, that's just asinine. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is so aggravating. Like, I was just, you know, like, Ole Okunen's another one that just popped in my head. Ole Okunen... For one, for at some point was the all-time leading goal scorer and point producer for the Florida Panthers. I think he's third now, but probably behind Huberdeau and maybe like Stephen Weiss or Barkov, probably. Um, and it took him three or four years. Like all of a sudden, he went from being like a eight goal scorer to a 35, 40 goal scorer in like a span of a year. It takes a while sometimes. This kid missed an entire year. He's going up against Andre Kopitar and Patrice Bergeron and and all these guys at the beginning. Like give him freaking time. It is and and last game, there's gonna be rookie mistakes. Like like also like wild fans need to figure out what you want. Do you want to rip on Dean Evison for not playing him? Like do you want to rip on him for the five minutes like the conversation we had last week? Or do you want him to play him, but admit, but understand there's going to be times like in Boston the other day where he's playing a great game, but yet all of a sudden he goes into a junior move where he skates the puck in front of three Bruins in front of the wild net. Like that stuff happens. He sent a grenade to Boldy last game too at the offensive blue line for a turnover. That stuff is going to happen. You put him on a five on three, he might get the puck in the right circle and not shoot the puck. So you got to figure out like, do you want him in the AHL or do you not? But, like, we all need to – if you're going to play him, we all got to show patience and understand that this guy is not going to be Yule Eriksson Eck in year six or seven of his career right at the very beginning. I mean, he's played seven NHL 
seven, no, six NHL games. Let's calm down. Right. So this almost sounds like you've become Lapanta in this statement oh. and the trying to be and the voice of reason, which is what I said a couple weeks ago. I said, look, the guy's played four games. So well, no, I was saying I just right. didn't like that he was on the fourth line yeah, and didn't get I that got first it. chance. But he's goals. four at that point, four games into his NHL career. There are going to be nights where he doesn't play a ton. There are going to be nights where he makes a bunch of mistakes. It's all a learning process with a guy like this, and yeah. it's going to take some time. And there's no doubt about that. But you also see some flashes of little skill plays that he makes. And he almost scored three times the other night. He did, and I think in a month. A couple of those wind up in the net Absolutely. because you're, he's playing with confidence. Yep. So let him play here with Boldy for a little while. And you have to take it, though. You have to take this opportunity and run with it and not give it back. It's what Boldy did last year when he was thrown on the line with Kevin Fiala. He didn't give it back. He demanded that, yep, this is where I belong and had success there. Had Boldy struggled for two weeks, we might have seen him move around, too. And you're exactly right when you say you've got a team that you expect to contend. So sometimes it's harder to watch a guy and live with mistakes because sometimes they lead directly mm -hmm. to L's instead of W's. But this isn't like the Anaheim Ducks who can say, throw the guy out there and what the hell difference does it make? We're going to let, we're going to take some lumps and let him learn. Well, it's because they don't have a chance to make the playoffs anyway. This team does. It's going to make those have a little more light on them. It's going to make those look a little more egregious because sometimes they swing a game. But don't. it's five games into a season. Don't overreact to it. Miko Koivu is the all-time leading goal, uh, score point producer in wild history. His rookie year, three years older than Marco Rossi, he had five goals at Christmas, if I remember. He got his fifth goal like just right before Christmas in, in, in Denver. He went 46 straight games to end the year without a goal. Scored in the season finale in Dallas, I'm pretty sure. This is 2005-06. You can double-check it. He's the all-time leading scorer in Wild history. If we had written him off then, where would he be? I mean, like, this – like, let's – and he was three years older than Marco Rossi. I, I just don't get yeah, these players are all different. That, I remember – how many times did we have the conversation about Eric Sinek and, and – this one, and I'm not saying this to start an argument with you, but you kept, we should have taken Brock Besser, should have taken Brock Besser. And I kept looking at him saying, he's not a player that's going to be evaluated by how much he scores. I kept thinking he was going to be yeah. a Miko Koivu type player where we were going to be looking at a guy who shut down opposing great players, became a face-off beast, that kind of guy. Rossi's different because he's one of the first guys the Wild have ever drafted who really is likely to be just a true, pure scorer, a pure playmaking centerman. For those guys, they very rarely are at their peak. They never are at their peak, but they very rarely are guys that will put up the kind of numbers they're going to put up early in their career. Erickson Eck was a guy who could be... The game has to slow down for It them. does. You know. The guys who are the checkers, it can they can be serviceable earlier in their career because of the role they play. Guys like him are guys that he will be evaluated by how much he scores, but it's unfair to evaluate him on exactly. that right Remember now. Granlin's first year? He could, couldn't even stay on his skates. Right. And, and remember, Chuck that... Fletcher put all that pressure on him by saying, this guy's going to win the rookie of the year. He's going to yeah. win the Calder. And I remember looking at him saying, well, he looks great in camp, but win the Calder? Let's 
let's just see. And you'd see him make two or three passes over the course of a two-week stretch where you'd say, holy cow, I've never seen anybody see that. And then he'd he'd get knocked off pucks for two weeks straight. Yeah. But and that wound up back that, in the minor yeah. leagues that year for but a while. But what that year did for Granlin was it made him realize, all right, what do I have to adjust to this right. NHL rink and all this stuff? And this will be the same thing with Marco Rossi. Rossi is going to have to, they're going to, and this is where, to my point last week, Dean's going to have to play him, trust him, understand he's going to do stuff like skate that puck into that, those three Bruins the other night where you're just like, what the hell? And honestly, if that puck was on net, they would have scored because, because Flurry was late to react. Um, and anyway, but my, my point is, is that next year, it will make, it will make Rossi so much better. I think even so the back better. half of this year, yeah. we'll start to yeah. see a guy that... Yeah. Like Addison as well. Addison right now is a power play dynamo, but even strength, he has not been very good analytically, and that will change as well as he as he starts. Yeah, to and adjust. I actually think he's been better. He's been better than I would have expected as a defender, but he has been terrific on the power play. He's been a huge part of it. But all of those guys, you you have to you have to get into some spots and come up short to realize just how different the game is in the National Hockey League against the best in the world compared to every other level at which you've ever played. And not that Rossi needs motivation, but he just needs an understanding. It's like to to bring a kid up in a, to use a baseball analogy, he comes up from the minor leagues and he's hitting balls in the minors 400 feet because the only pitch a guy can throw over is a fastball. It isn't for lack of work. It's just that you have to realize that, okay, well, up here, these guys are going to throw breaking pitches like I've never seen before. And that's what I need to work on. Rossi will have parts of his game that he'll realize that, all right, well, what I got away with at other levels doesn't work here. Mm-hmm. I can't make that decision to skate the puck here because these guys will knock it off my stick. I'm not a step faster than everybody on the ice. I'm not as strong as everybody in the corner. And those little things will come. He's going to be a great player. By the way, my weather uh, little icon on my taskbar on my computer here in Montreal says record heat, which reminds me with winter approaching, um, I don't want to get stuck with no heat. That's why I called Aquarius Home Services recently. And within a day, they sent a technician out to give me a furnace tune-up. He was professional, knowledgeable, and got all my furnace stuff, everything there, all prepped up for the cold winter ahead. Aquarius provides a five-star furnace tune-up. They will thoroughly evaluate your entire heating system, review the results, and happily answer any questions. If they find any concerns, Aquarius will provide clear options with upfront pricing and review their no-breakdown guarantee. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, which is why I recommend them all the time. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you, and here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. I mentioned the, earlier on the show about a very disappointing scallop dinner I had while in Boston, <laughs> and the last time that I cooked at home, we had some scallops from Kowalski's that were unbelievable. And I think I've mentioned this on an earlier show. They switched early in the summer to a different line of scallops, and they're a little bit smaller, but don't be fooled by them. Number one, they're more flavorful, and number two, they don't cook down at all. There's no The, the water content inside them is, is lower, so they are terrific. They're just among the 
among the awesome options they have at the seafood counter, it's my favorite place to go. It's like being a little kid in a candy store when I walk back to that counter. They're knowledgeable. Trust them. They'll point you in the right direction, but take my word for it on the scallops. You'll love them. If you're going to have great meals, you got to start with the best ingredients and the only place to go for that is Kowalski's. By the way, uh, Joe Smith just asked me if anybody has any recommendations for uh, mechanics, uh, car mechanics in the Twin Cities. If you do, uh, tweet him at Joe Smith NHL. Joe wrote a great story, by the way, on Matt Boldy. Um, just so you know what's coming up in The Athletic, I'll have the story uh, later on today by the time this podcast probably comes out on uh, the practice changes that happened today in my sit-down with Bill Guerin. Um, I got a Jake Middleton story hopefully coming out soon. I'd love to run it when the team is actually winning so there's no cynical comments. Um, hopefully everybody read uh, uh, Joe's 1,000 game story and Alex Goligoski. My Billy Smith story is coming out Thursday. I'm working on a Mike Madonna feature right now. By the way, Madonna is going to be doing more stuff in hockey ops this year. He's going to go see games and things like that. Uh, let's go to Twitter questions. Russo Slacks wants to know if we'll be doing the show speaking only in French after Anthony uh, was 34 minutes late in large part because he couldn't read French on the Starbucks signs. I'll say no. Um, Brett Marshall goes... Uh, the Wild have tried uh, Tyson Jost on seemingly every line so far this year, and generally speaking, that line has seemed to struggle, notably with Erickson Eck and Moose on Saturday. Do you think the Wild look to maybe scratch him and get Mason Shaw back in the mix? I think I don't think they would scratch him yet. I do think there's going to have to come a point where they're going to think about that. I don't think that, like, what do you think happens? Do you think Shaw plays next game? It's hard because I thought Dewar and Duham were really good the other night with Steele. I thought they were good, and I think the – we talked earlier, I, I think when everybody's healthy, you're probably in a five-guy-for-four-spot type rotation. But I think right now, just a guess, you have to keep Rossi with Boldy. I don't know where Erickson Eck and Felino end up, but they're for sure going to be in your top yeah. nine. I have a feeling so, we're going to see Goudreau with uh, Kaprizov and Zuccarello today, not Erickson Eck. Uh, I agree with that. I still think so. Maybe Jost lands with a couple more skilled guys. I don't know if the fourth line's the right spot for him. And Mason Shaw, I thought, was terrific when he was thrown in there. And, and What about and Jost, Rossi, and Boldy? That's what I was getting at, yeah. is that I think Rossi and Boldy probably stay together. So if you do that, Goudreau, if he moves up, now that puts Hartman then. But now you've got Erickson Eck and Felino still together. So maybe it's Erickson Eck that winds up playing with a Rossi and Boldy, perhaps. I, I, because if you, if you put... Jost there, and you put Goudreau with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, now you've still got Erickson Eck and Felino together. Yeah. And that's what we were talking we'll earlier, that we bit. think they might split those two guys and try to inject a little life in them. And so I don't, I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it will be. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Gus Horner asked, well, Hartman is, is for sure our number one center. Do you think he's feeling pressure or looking over his shoulder with the young centers behind him? I don't think that, but I don't know what's going on. I think he's on. putting pressure on himself. Yeah. It's I mentioned it earlier, and th it's not a bad thing for guys to feel self-imposed pressure at this yeah. point. Internal competition is a great thing, but I don't think any of these guys are worried right now that, uh oh this guy's going to outplay me and I'm going to move down. I really think it's just Hartman loves playing with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, and why wouldn't you? But he also can read score sheets, and he knows I'm five games in, zero goals. It isn't going to last long. And if I don't start to score, my days here are numbered. So that's in guys' minds without a doubt. And I think that last year he had a stretch early where it felt like everything he was throwing at the net was going in. It hasn't been the case so far this year. Um, by the way, I've been remiss to say our next live show is November 2nd at Split Rocks in Wyoming. We had a huge showing last time. We actually had a private room because there were so many people. 
Um, so come on out to Split Rocks. It's such a great place. Huge bowling alley. Great food. Um, it's just enormous game room, everything. So come on out to Wyoming, Minnesota on uh, November 2nd to see Anthony and myself. Scott Botcher asks, um, how long do you think uh, Bill Guerin will watch this undisciplined scrambling defense and fare too much, too often stupid, far too often stupid play before turning up the heat on Dean Evison and the staff? Um, you know, I, I look, he actually says in my story tomorrow, he wants the, he doesn't want to go and, you know, like I think Bill has been considering, like, do I go and, tear the team apart, like address the team, but he doesn't want to waste that bullet now. You're um, saying tear the team apart verbally, yeah, not, verbally. not tear exactly. the roster yeah, apart. No, like go in there and tear the paint off the room. Um, but he, and you know, individual meetings and things like that, but he does say tear in my the story paint off tomorrow, the room, that was a Margo like cliche. I know. So anyway, um, you know, because you were 34 minutes <laughs> late and I'm looking at and she yeah. won't like it, but look, 34 minutes late. I'm looking at the clock now. We have to get in an Uber soon to get to practice, so I'm really anxious. So, um, but my point on this is he does say in there that they need to coach this. Right now he wants these guys to coach the team. But I will say the constant tweets I'm getting about, is, is Dean on the hot seat? Like, we are five games into a season the wild of three points out of a wild card spot. Let's let, like, chillax. He's on the first year of a three-year deal. Like, nobody's getting fired right now. I, like, like. The overreaction, and when I'm the one that's t- like that's what I campaigning said. You're, for people, it's the you're trying to be yeah. the voice of reason, and I know it's unsettling to it you. Really because is. You would prefer yeah. to be the guy throwing gas on the fire. But the man, the the Rossi bus stuff is such. No, I know. So the Rossi to it, me, and the, there's no other way to say it than it's a stupid take. There it's are dumb. There are I think four or five that have come to mind for me that have really stood out. Number one is the that Billy Guerin should go. Number two is that Dean's on the hot seat. Number three is that Rossi's a bust. Number four is that should we just trade Kaprizov now and get what we can for him? Those are the most ridiculous yeah. that I've seen. Somebody already asked me, do you trade Kaprizov for the number one overall pick? I'm like, Ugh. Uh, no. And the, so the we're five games into the season. If this team, if in 10 games, the, and the Wild fifth one are is a new one, play-by-play guy. Right. If the... If the if in ten games the Wild are one thirteen and one, then let's talk. Okay. And if it's anything less than that, th- th- none of those changes are going to happen. So if they're two twelve and one, do not come at us. Right. Um. All right. I'll even I'll tell you what. If they're two twelve and one, yeah. we'll I'll be willing to listen to some of these ridiculous ideas. Yeah. Oh God forbid. Anyway, Steve Snyder, uh, how much uh, are the Wild missing a true physical presence this year? Greenway being down. In the loss of Delorier, seems uh, as if we are getting pushed around. A few more liberties are being taken on guys like 97, 14. And well, I haven't seen that. I've seen the lack of physical play, but do you think there have been more liberties taken on any skill guys? I haven't seen any of that. Yeah. Um, Joe asks, what is wrong with Brodeen? Uh, Danny Sussman, what is going on with Tyson Joe's scam? We talked about that. Uh, Joe's, uh, this person says it feels like he's destined to play in Europe. I actually don't disagree. Um, he's a pending RFA. He needs to get his act together here. Um, Rick asks, uh, does it seem like Rossi needs to more time in the AHL? I'm not saying he's not going to eventually get AHL time, um, but just because he didn't score on the five-on-three, as this person points out. I don't think it. that – I think if you ask the Wild right now, they would tell you they hope he's here to stay. It doesn't mean they won't send him down there. If we were to see a 10-game stretch where he was str- – and if you felt the need – or the lack of trust where it's, I can only play him six, seven minutes a night because I don't trust his game. 
then it doesn't make any sense to keep them here. But Wait, anything yeah. less, anything that doesn't reach that level, there's no reason. Like if he's ten games in and doesn't have an NHL point, I actually don't think it's a bad thing to just send him to Iowa, let him let him get some points, feel the puck, play who, in a good who situation. Who did they send down a couple of years ago once, that did came, exactly and he the went same and got thing? Got a hat trick immediately right. and brought him up, and he was like a different player immediately. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and maybe you do something like that just to go down there, play twenty minutes, dominate a game, and then come yeah, back. Exactly. Um, G. Colleen says, are the days of Dumba's big boomer from the point racking up some goals gone with the last few injuries? He seems to have lost that part of his O-zone game, his O-game. Um, yeah, it, it does seem like that. It's like we don't see – he's not on the power play anymore. We just don't see that anymore. Yeah, it's – we're five games in. Yeah. It's Ten, I, there was a but that I one's saw, been a while. I saw one comment on there. And I hate to. We don't want to spend the rest of the show just making fun <laughs> of like, overreactions. This is, like the, this is like the podcast that's going to like alienate every yeah, one of our on listeners. So we like I saw lose. somebody say, "Why is it the same story every year? Same story." This is absolutely the opposite story. Last year, it was that they dominated all regular season and then lost in the playoffs. If that was, and then you heard, why is it the same story? Well, this isn't the same story. This is a totally different story. Yeah, they've, just... they've, they lost their first three games for only the third time in franchise history. Yeah. And as I mentioned the other night on the show, the previous two years that they started with three losses, they made the playoffs both years. Yeah. By the way, I think that we should go get those double vodkas after the show. Um, Ted <laughs> asks, uh, two gopher puck questions. Don't know if you watched the game the other night, but uh, did, Rhett Pe did Rhett Petlick know his celly would cost him a 10-minute game misconduct? I don't think so. I don't um, think so, but you know, I tell you what, you yeah. know what was significant about that? How about Kevin Gorg on the play-by-play -play for the Friday night game between the Gophers and North Dakota? I didn't listen to the whole broadcast because we were in Boston that night, but I heard some of the highlights. He did a heck of a job calling the game. Not bad for our sideline guy to jump in at the on the lead vocals that night and worked with Ben Clymer on what was an overtime win for Minnesota. I saw North Dakota won an overtime the next night. I just love seeing those two teams play. But how about the job our guy Gorgie did doing play-by-play? -play? Yeah, that was terrific. great goal call. He let it breathe. Apparently, play-by-play -play is so easy that you can almost Anybody never do, do it, it, and you can yeah. just step behind Anybody the mic and sound great. Um, Ten-minute misconduct that he got. Um, I actually uh, covered a game. Gord Murphy, an assistant coach with the, uh, I think, New York Rangers now. I covered a game in Florida once where he threw his stick in the stands, and he got a big fine from the NHL for that one. Um, any reaction from, uh, let's see, uh, and then uh, he asks, um, do the Gophers have a legit Hobie Baker candidate in Matthew Nyes? Do you think so? I think they do. I think he looks like a, a superstar, player. heck of a yeah. player. I know that the people in Toronto are excited. Uh, Will asks, if the Wild don't figure out their defense and goaltending issues, do we trade for a goalie or think about selling? Um, you know, uh, Not think about selling. Yeah, They're uh, not but, thinking uh, about selling. Yeah, um, I did the, the goaltending thing during my sit-down with Bill yesterday was the one that he, I don't know if he really meant it, but he was trying to act like it was no big deal. He, he said he's not worried about either Flower or Gustafson. Um, so, you know, if you take him for his word, doesn't sound like that's something that he's looking around. They're for sure. He's for sure got his eye on it. And there's a reason why they didn't go out and make a move right away regarding the, the cap space they have and the flexibility they have. You got to make sure that you have what you need between the pipes so that that isn't the, the area where you need to put that money to use. But right now there are in five games, there have been stretches there have been instances where you could have looked at it and said they're lacking this they're lacking this they're in just about every area of the game yeah 
They've lacked defensive structure. They've lacked goaltending. They've lacked scoring punch. They've lacked centers who can win faceoffs. Any one of those, if you just picked one little spot, it could look like where they need to make their move. I'm sure he's looking at it to make certain, but the way f- that Fleury played the last two games is a big, encouraging step. Team population says, will Russo become the next Sid Hartman and be doing radio until he's 100? No oh, chance. What's the chance I'm going to live to 100? Zero, well, 50, 50. If I can live to 50, I'd be uh, excited. If self-imposed stress takes years off your life, yeah, it, you ain't going to get to yeah, 100. No, I won't even get to like 40. <laughs> Um, anyway, does uh, I wish I was. Anyway, Corndog says, uh, does uh, Lapanta have any tricks on how to ke- he keeps track of players when they are on the ice? Because obviously, like you have your line charts, but I mean, lines scr- get scrambled and guys get hurt. You know, they like do. The other night when Greenway was out, you were probably like constantly like, what? Right. It's it is hard, and that I do use. I'm a lines guy, so that's the way I I watch the game and try to pay attention to what coaches are doing to juggle their lines. But I would say that's one of the things that that I really use as a play-by-play. I wouldn't say it's a trick, but it's a method. I always want to see and make sure I know who else is on the ice so that when the puck comes out of the corner and lands out front, I've got an idea already who the other guys were. If you wait to then try to identify the player, you're late. And I will say there are always spots where it's difficult. There are always guys on just about every team where they look kind of the same and the numbers are close enough where it's hard to tell. And with Minnesota this year, one of the things that has been difficult is Boldy and Steele. 12 and 13, they're both lefties. They've often been on the ice at the same time. And when you just quickly see it and you see a a number that's got a starts with a one and it's a two digit number and it's a left-handed guy. If you don't know for sure yeah. which guy was on the ice, I had a goal call yeah, for steel yeah, the other yeah, night yeah. where I hesitated because yeah. I almost said I Boldy. Tell, yeah. And then I, yeah. it when was steel, when steel scored his first goal of the season, the tying goal that was short lived. I thought that it was, uh, it was Boldy as well. Right. Just watching from the press box. And plus, you know, you're wearing Margo's contacts. Well, so I was that, that I wasn't that day, but I remember for the wild for a few years, it was always Holla and Zicker. Yeah. Zucker. Yeah. Two guys with a six that were lefties and they had that the were same fast. skating kind of, yeah. yep. They'd come off the bench and you'd just see the six and shoom, there he goes. And there were a couple times where you'd hesitate and you'd, I just saw him come off the bench and I don't know which one it is yet. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm sure Wild fans don't jump down your throat at all when that happens, you no. know, because they know all. Well, I get, trust me, I get the Can everybody get tell how right now Twitter has just beyond stressed me out? Like, it is, it is, like, just imagine if people are offended at how uh, I'm calling people idiots today and things like, just imagine what it is like to see my Twitter account and the people fighting on a nightly basis and just the negative. I just don't look it just, at it. Yeah, it leads, it's so But stressful. all I'll say is when people yeah. critique me on Twitter, number one, if I've made a mistake, I've already gotten a text from Margo because yeah. she's watching the game at home. In fact, the Boldy Steel goal call we just talked about, she, knew she right immediately away. texted me and, uh-oh, what was the hesitation on that call? <laughs> like, I, I, I thought it might be a different guy. And so it, there's, What was the uh, Christmas vacation? You're like, thanks, Margo. Yeah. I don't know, Margo. Um, yeah, that's, let's just uh, wrap up uh, real why quick. Is this, why is there water all over the floor? Yeah. I don't know, Margo. Um, Tom Cordes, uh, I see Zuccarello as a leader on this team and with the struggles this year and what he has done to mentor one of the best young players in the league, does he deserve, deserve strong consideration for an A? 
Um, I know the difficult question is three with letters or so, so. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're not stripping Dumbo or Felino of A's to put an A on Zuccarello. You're not creating that mess. No. Um, but does he deserve it when when Dumbo's elsewhere? Uh, maybe. I mean, so do Brodeen and, and Eric Snack. It's funny. Yesterday, so I was sitting with Billy Guerin, and um, we were talking about the culture of the team and how much it's changed. And I, you know, I was I still go back to that day in Dallas when I was so perturbed when Nico Sturm had played his like two NHL games. It's his first road game. They go out to dinner. I see him going alone with like Matt Robson, and I'm like, where are all the leaders on this team? Last night, I'm sitting with Billy Guerin. Uh, yesterday, late afternoon, and guys are starting to, you know, walk down Crescent Street looking for places to eat. There were two factions of players that I saw that right away said something to me. One was Spurgeon, Eriksnek, and Zuccarello going out with Marco Rossi, and the other one was Felino with Sam Steele and Kalen Addison. And I just think that says a lot, you know, that those guys feel, you know, that they're that the veterans are taking these young kids out to dinner. Yeah, um, without a doubt, it's it's real and. We've seen it for a year and a half now. It's real. This isn't a fabrication. This isn't all talk. It's actions. This team is very tight. That chemistry was a big part of their success last year. I believe it'll be a big part of their success this year. And it's it's real. Yeah. What's the latest on Wallstat? We're going to wrap up the show now because we have to get in an Uber to get to practice here. Um, what's the latest on Wallstat? I think he's on the roster to start next season, but time with Flurry. I think they want to overbake him, kind of like, you know, they don't want what happened to Carter Hart to happen to Jasper Wallstat. It would, you do, like, the, like, again, I don't mean to rail on people, but any wild fan that thinks a 19 year old Jasper Wallstat should be in the lineup now is out to lunch. Now, next year, could he be the backup? Perhaps. I mean, a lot of it will be up to Gustafson, but they want they want to be smart with this guy. Um, you know, it's just uh, he'll be in good, Iowa this whole year. Here's a good final question to lighten the mold from Abby um, Mankey. Asks, uh, what's your pregame ritual? We hear all the time about players and coaches spend the game day to get themselves ready, but what about you and Lapanta? Besides the obvious Starbucks run. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well. I'll tell you, my game days it is eerie how it's the same time every day. I leave my house before 8 o'clock. I stop at Starbucks. I get to the rink. I have a conference call with our Valley Sports North crew. You watch morning skate. You talk to the coaches. I update my game file, which I will have sent the night before to our crew, but now I'll update it to confirm lineups and get all the statistics updated with the games that ended the night before. I then leave. I stop at FedEx Kinko's to print my line charts. I drive to the White Bear Lifetime Fitness and get a workout in. I usually take a sauna after the workout, and without ever looking at the clock, I'll take a shower, get dressed, I go upstairs and grab a protein shake, I order my coffee at Starbucks, and I stop and grab it, drive back to the rink. I am in the booth no later than 3.45 for a 7 o'clock start, and it's almost, like I'll be there within 10 minutes, I'll be there between 3.35 and 3.45 every single day, and it isn't because I'm, okay, I got to be in my car at this time. It's mm. just how it works. 3.45, I get there. I up, I do all my handwritten notes on my lineup cards. I go downstairs a little after 5, sit at the in the media dining room and listen to Gorg rant on and on about his 27 fantasy football teams and who should be on the waiver wire and blah, 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 blah. Eat and how dinner great and, the team meal is. Right. Then back upstairs by 6 o'clock in the booth at 6, throw the headsets on because we take a look at our game elements and all of that and call the game, do the post-game hit, drive home, listen to Dean Evison on the radio to catch his post-game comments, and 
I'm back in my house by 11 o'clock. And, yeah. that's, and it is almost to the minute that is what my home game day routine is yeah. every single day. Mine's all over the map, depending on what's going on that day. I mean, it's a lot of just, it, it is a lot of writing. Right, but see, like this that. is what we've talked yeah. about before. My role is the game and the right. game only. Yours is everything that's happening yeah. other than the game. Yeah. So like even the other day. When there's know, nothing yeah. happening with the team yeah. and all you're writing about is the game, yeah. It's then all of a sudden yeah. it's your world is different. It's yeah. when the team's struggling, when there might be a trade, yeah. when there might be a coaching change, you know, all it, that kind of stuff. I'm, and to me, none of that stuff matters. Yeah, and it is interesting. And I'll, Abby, I'll answer this question more in depth next week because we do have to run. But I, I will say, you know, I've been almost – I've been disappointed with every single game story I've already written this season. And one of the reasons I do think is because during the day I've been working on so many other things that by the time I get to the game and write, like I'm like, it's like the it's like the third story I've written that day. It's like it just it's like I don't have any juice left. So I'm kind of looking forward to things chilling out here. Um hey, thanks uh for everybody for listening. Sorry if I offended everybody with my calling you idiots. Um November 2nd, Split Rocks. You can come and yell at me. Uh we'll be there November 2nd, Split Rocks. Please come on up. It's such a great venue. Um thanks to our awesome sponsors, of course, all the Tuttles restaurants and Grain Belt, but Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm. Moe's, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Royal Credit Union, Kowalski's, and um, we're going to order an Uber as long as Anthony's uh, eyes could focus on his phone. I can see. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but the world won't forgive. Like, how stupid do you have to be?